Hello everyone, I'm Luna. And I'm Sam. And welcome to our second official podcast episode of TCC, True Crime Chats. Last week we covered the mysterious death of Todd Guide, so if you missed it, please check it out. YouTube Bob Saget. So for today's episode, we are heading to Boston, Massachusetts, where Anna Slezer was a seamstress for a decorating firm in downtown Boston. This 55-year-old was found strangled in her apartment on June 14, 1962. Slezer was the first victim of the infamous serial killer, the Boston Strangler. So, to set the scene a little, on the night of her death, Slezer was seen by her neighbors entering her apartment roughly between 5.30 and 6 p.m. when she came home from work. She lived in a relatively quiet neighborhood near Boston's Symphony Hall. Their neighborhood consisted mostly of low-income families and STEM students attending Northeastern University. She put on a robe and put a record on her turntable and was ready to take a bath. She was found dead by her son around 7 p.m. when he came to pick her up for a church memorial service. Okay, so there seems to be about a one to two hour window for time of death. Exactly. How did her son discover the body? Her son, Juris Slezer, said he knocked on her door a little before 7 p.m., but there was no answer. He waited for his mother in the main foyer of the building, but after waiting a few minutes, he forced his way into the apartment. He found her body in the bathroom with some sort of cord around her neck, wearing only a robe that had been ripped open. The cord was tied in a bow. He initially assumed that his mother had committed suicide, but as he told the police, he couldn't think of anyone or any enemies who would do this to his mother. Detective Jim Mellon was one of the first police officers on the scene. He noticed that several drawers in Slezer's bedroom had been left open, but nothing obvious appeared to be missing. In fact, many valuable items that were in clear sight had been left behind. When other homicide detectives arrived, they hypothesized that her death occurred during a failed robbery attempt as her apartment was in complete disarray, like it was ransacked, but many valuable pieces of jewelry were left behind. And they found her body in a way that suggested that she had been sexually assaulted. Okay, so it doesn't sound like a suicide, obviously. You mentioned that her neighbors remembered seeing her entering her apartment. Did anyone see or hear the killer? So when doing my research, I didn't find anything that suggested that there were any witnesses to her death, but the police did find another way that the killer could have entered besides her front door. So it's possible that the neighbors wouldn't have seen or heard anything. They found that someone could have entered from the roof through a scaffold left by painters that led to Slusser's unlocked window. Definitely seems like foul play. What leads did they have at this point? I wasn't able to find anything too specific, just that the detectives were looking into leads based on forensic evidence found at Slusser's apartment and also leads stemming from their robbery hypothesis. And when just looking at this case alone, it definitely seemed as though the police theory of a botched robbery was correct. That was until a second victim was discovered. Two weeks after Anna Slezer's body was discovered, an 85-year-old woman, Mary Mullen, was also found murdered in her home. Shortly after this body was discovered, a third strangle victim, Nina Nichols, was discovered. 
there was a, a lot of information on Nichols as her death seemed to have a big impact on the city of Boston. Nichols was a 68-year-old retired physiotherapist. And similar to Slezer, Nichols had been found strangled with her clothes ripped off of her and indicators of sexual abuse. Later, the lab determined she had been raped. Additionally, the material used to strangle the victims was tied in a bow, just the way the police found the cord used on Slezer. And both of the two latest victims, their apartments appeared to have been burgled, but nothing was noticeably missing. The police even reported that many of Nichols's valuable items were in plain sight, but had been left untouched. Okay, that's not a coincidence. Yeah, exactly. Three murders of women, all strangled and left in a similar manner. The tying of the strangulation device into a bow was especially unique. Definitely looks like a serial killer, at least some sort of similarity between the killers. Exactly. The tying of the bow kind of feels like it was this guy's M.O. So by the end of the month, another victim was found, Helen Blake. So by this point, the city of Boston was aware that there was a serial killer on the loose targeting women. People were terrified and the media was not helping as it was spreading a lot of fear through the reporting. Newspapers had even given the killer the name, the Silk Stocking Murderer, even though only one victim had been strangled with silk stockings. Well, did the police have any leads? I found a lot of details about the investigation itself through a book written about the killer called A Rose for Murder, The Hunt for the Real Boston Strangler. From this book, I learned that the police found an interesting connection between the fourth victim, Blake, and first victim, Slezer. Remember how I talked about that there was scaffolding found over Slezer's apartment for painters, and that's how the detectives hypothesized the killer had come in? Right. Well, Detective Mellon realized that there was painting scaffolding over Blake's apartment as well. So he tracked down the paint company and spoke to some of the employees. It was difficult to track everyone because some workers were paid under the table, so he wasn't able to gather too much information or even a full list of suspects who could have accessed the building. And that was pretty much all they had after the four murders. So nothing concrete yet? No. And as time went on, the body count began to increase. Even worse was that the four victims I discussed earlier were older white women. However, the type of victims being chosen by the killer changed. Younger women were targeted, and even one of the victims was African American, indicating that the killer didn't really have a preference when it came to race or age, only gender, making it hard for the police to prevent or give any sort of, um, take any sort of action to try to make sure that the women in Boston were kept safe. Over the course of two years, from 1962 to 1964, 11 women were confirmed by the police to have been killed by a serial killer that was connected to the name the Boston Strangler. Wow, that's a lot. Did the police have any suspects over these two years? So this is where the story gets really interesting. Detective Mellon actually had two suspects for one of the victims named Mary Sullivan, but these suspects did not seem to be serial killers necessarily, as they each only had connection to or motive to kill Sullivan, none of the other 10 victims. However, when he presented this information to investigators, 
he learned that they were looking into a new suspect, Albert DeSalvo. So just to back up a little, from my research, I'm assuming that Detective Mellon was no longer in the investigative task force, even though he was one of the first responding officers, as somewhere in the two years, the FBI got involved and they seemed to have taken the case from Boston Police Department. Additionally, it became a very politically charged case as certain figures were up for political positions that seemed to have influenced the case. I know one of the attorneys especially was up for a position of attorney general. So for those reasons, there were a lot of politics involved, especially when it came to some of the suspects. But Detective Mellon kept up with the case as it was such a consuming part of his career and he was obsessed with finding the killer since it, the murders were never solved. Mellon was familiar with the suspects of the case, but the name Albert DeSalvo was not one that he had heard before. So Albert DeSalvo was an inmate at the Bridgewater Psychiatric Hospital after being arrested for an unrelated cause. And Detective Mellon learned that there were rumors saying that DeSalvo was going to confess to all the murders linked to strangling cases. So a suspect who was never brought up during the police investigation and the detective following the case has never heard of is now the primary suspect in 13 murders. And he is about to confess to them from his hospital. Yeah, definitely an unexpected turn. I found from a lot of reports around this time that people believed that the police kind of just got lucky because there were no leads connecting DeSalvo to the murders and he his name really never came up up until the point he'd said that he wanted to confess for them and then in 1967 DeSalvo confessed to assaulting strangling and killing the women a little background about DeSalvo at the time that he was arrested he had a history of breaking and entering and had actually spent time in prison due to various sexually oriented schemes. He had a rough upbringing with an abusive and alcoholic father. Police profile indicated that the killer had a strained relationship with their parents based on the fact that most of the victims were older and more mature women. So this theory did align with DeSalvo's background to a certain extent. Now, DeSalvo had been arrested for sexual assault and his detailed confession for those crimes were so horrendous that he was sent to a mental institution. It was at this institution where he confided to another inmate, George Nasser, that he was the Boston Strangler. So his attorney questioned him and DeSalvo provided details for the crimes. He confessed to 13 murders, even though at the time the police only knew about 11. A lot of people doubted the validity of his claims, and additionally, some of his co-workers commented that they believed that DeSalvo had a tendency to lie and embellish, which kind of propelled the fact, the idea that there were a lot of discrepancies in his story and people didn't necessarily believe his confession. So what happened to him? So DeSalvo was convicted and sent to prisons for the rapes that he had originally been charged for. But this guy was a textbook case narcissist. For example, when he was allegedly chased by the police, he let them arrest him, even though it was an ongoing pursuit. He, in the end, turned himself in. So it seems like he cared more about getting attention than going to prison. 
So the fact that he wasn't getting credit for the Boston Strangler murders angered him. Like he was still going to jail, just not for the ones he had confessed for. Okay, so he was sentenced to prison, but not for the 13 murders? Yeah. And then that same year, he escaped from his prison by crawling down an elevator shaft and climbing a prison wall. A manhunt immediately ensued after officials realized that he was missing. However, it didn't last very long as DeSalvo turned himself in by telling a clerk in a store to call the police. Interestingly enough, I found that before the police arrived, the clerk asked DeSalvo if he was responsible for the 13 murders committed by the Boston Strangler. DeSalvo responded that he thinks he did, he did some of them, but he's not sure if he did them all. Honestly, this seems very interesting and almost unlikely that DeSalvo did commit the murders. I know a lot of times um, there are a lot of false confessions for crimes because the individual wants to get a bit better um, prison sentence, sentence or more privileges or they just want to get credit for something that they haven't done as if it's like a good thing or um, so maybe that's what's going on here but it just seems very odd the whole thing. Exactly. It, especially as I said earlier, a lot of people profiled him to be a narcissist, so a lot of what he did was about bringing attention to himself. So it kind of seems a little bit questionable, A, his mental state, but also B, whether he actually knew what he was talking about. So anyway, after his escape, DeSalvo was then sent to a maximum security prison, but he was eventually killed in this prison due to drug sales. His attorney later explained that DeSalvo had been selling amphetamines and had been warned many times that if he didn't stop, he would be killed. Okay, so his death is unrelated to the crimes. Yeah, but something strange that occurred around the time of his death was the morning that he was killed, DeSalvo had contacted a new attorney and said that he was ready to tell the truth about the Boston Strangler murders but unfortunately, he was killed before his attorney arrived. Well, having done a lot of research, do you know what he was going to say, or do you have any idea about what he was going to say? Well, no one can be completely sure, but a lot of people think, and a lot of people are speculating, that DeSalvo was not the Boston Strangler and had just confessed for attention, which fits with his profile, like I said, as a narcissist. And people think that DeSalvo was actually going to admit that he was lying before he was killed. Yeah, I think that that makes more sense. I mean, wouldn't the police have questioned him about specific details of any of the cases um, or any anything that happened to any of the victims and be able to tell whether he was lying or not based on that? Because I know a lot of times police don't actually reveal all the evidence so that if someone does confess, then they can weed out if it's a truthful confession or if it's a false confession. So weren't the police able to tell this a little bit or was there not really any information on if the police believes that he was the true suspect or not? So in my research, I found that, like you said, the police didn't reveal all the details to the press and then they questioned DeSalvo by presenting information incorrectly and he did correct them on some things, which did lead them to be suspicious. However, he also got other details incorrect. And ultimately, he wasn't convicted for 
any of the strangling cases, which leads me to believe that even if he knew some of the details, it wasn't enough to convince the police that he was the Boston Strangler. Right, so maybe he knew someone that was involved, like knew who, who actually had done it and knew details from them. Um, or maybe he, he was more of a copycat and committed some of these crimes, so then knew about the crimes that he had committed or something. Right, that definitely seems to be more likely. So many people doubted that Albert DeSalvo was the actual Boston Strangler who had killed all of these women. Based on his psych profile, many people wondered if DeSalvo just wanted notoriety. After all, even the way he was arrested was dramatic and attention-seeking. And DeSalvo confessed multiple times between the police, his attorneys, and other inmates. It seemed like he wanted the world to know that he was the Boston Strangler, so it wasn't enough for him to go to jail but not be convicted for those 13 murders. However, Despite admitting to many people, DeSalvo denied being a murderer to his family. In fact, I found a quote from a blog written by Frank F. Weber, where the author found a quote from DeSalvo two days before his murder, where he said, To reveal his secret will bring him fame, but burden his family with unwanted shame. That's interesting that he confessed to the crimes to the police, but not his family. Um, that's definitely something that is suspicious. Yeah, especially because it wasn't like he could hide the fact that he had confessed. I mean, his name was all over the papers and everybody knew that he had confessed to being the Boston Strangler. So it was really interesting to see, like I said earlier, he wasn't shy about calling himself the Boston Strangler. He talked about it with many of his other inmates, but when it came to his family, he didn't want them to know, which is kind of strange. So for a while, many decades actually, the case was left at where we are now in the story. DeSalvo was suspected to be the Boston Strangler, and since he died shortly after being imprisoned, and no new victims had been discovered since 1964, which is three years before he confessed, the investigation had ended. A lot of people believed that DeSalvo was the killer and that the Boston Strangler was dead. But many people, including some of the victim's families, thought that the real killer was never caught and that DeSalvo was just a crazy person who confessed for attention. The family of one of the victims I mentioned earlier, Mary Sullivan, was quite adamant that the real killer was never caught and that the police only believed it was DeSalvo because it was convenient. They felt that since the killings had stopped, someone confessed, the police, and quite frankly the media, had lost interest in the case. Sullivan's nephew even wrote a book about his aunt's murder. It's the book I referenced above, which gave a lot of facts about the case and details about the investigations, but after talking about the timeline, it, he goes on to speculate that DeSalvo did not murder his aunt and that the real Boston Strangler was never caught. Yes, it doesn't seem like DeSalvo was the real Boston Strangler, just because he got a lot of the facts wrong and he just seemed like he did confess for some sort of fame. Um, But at the same time, it is very coincidental that after he was murdered and put in jail that there were no more stranglings in Boston. So maybe the real killer used his death as their easy way out 
to stop murdering um, or, or he really was the Boston Strangler. Right. It's a, it's a little convenient that another victim of the Boston Strangler hadn't been discovered for three years. I agree with what you're saying. I think especially the copycat theory might be very accurate. Another interesting thing is that the crimes that DeSalvo was convicted for were sexually motivated, and some of the Boston Strangler's victims were sexually assaulted before they died. So there is that tie as well. So until very recently, there weren't any new findings or revelations in the case until 2013. And thanks to advancement in forensic sciences, especially DNA testing, investigators felt the need to revisit the case and its connection to DeSalvo, since technically nobody had been convicted for the Boston Stranglers. Albert DeSalvo's body was then exhumed and tested, and guess what? His DNA matched the DNA found on Mary Sullivan's rape kit. So why did they test only her DNA and not others? Yeah, I was curious about that too, but then I realized that not all of the victims had been sexually assaulted, so there wasn't DNA to compare to when looking at some of the other victims. And Mary Sullivan's was the most, the death that was most questionable about whether it had actually been committed by DeSalvo. Like I'd mentioned earlier, there were two suspects for Sullivan's death, whereas some of, for many of the other victims, they didn't really have any leads. So a lot of people question whether Sullivan's death had occurred for an unrelated reason and that some copycat had just used the strangler's methods to decrease suspicion. But as you can see, it was confirmed that DeSalvo was responsible for Sullivan's death. And this especially was news to her family who, like I mentioned, really doubted whether this DeSalvo was the Boston Strangler. As I said earlier, her nephew was the one who wrote an entire book where he speculated on uh, what actually happened to his aunt and the fact that he disagreed with what the police were saying. Well, that leads us to the end of this episode. Be sure to check us out next week for our next episode. And you can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and more. Please leave a five-star review and you can find us on Instagram at True Crime Chats Podcast. Or my other Instagram at Vegan Healthy Diaries. Again, also, you don't need to follow that one. Also, if you have any information relevant to the case, you can leave an anonymous tip at Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-TIPS or csusa.org or contact the Department of Justice. Both have websites and hotlines. So with that, stay safe and have a great day. Bye, Bob Saget. <laughs> Wait, are you going to keep that in?